0: G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Radio in Melbourne with the financial support of the Community Radio Federation. We come to you on the Community Radio Network through your local community radio station. This week is Reconciliation Week. It started on May the 26th, National Sorry Day with the last day on June the 3rd, Marbo Day. This week, we listened to a chat with the former National Indigenous Officer for the Australian Council of Trade Unions, the ACTU, Cara Keyes, about what sorry means when it comes to Indigenous workers' rights in 2018. We follow it up with a frightening look at what our Federal Government believes is Australia's manufacturing future. The closing of factories, unemployment and lack of investment in manufacturing in Australia has been turned around, apparently, by massive investment in manufacturing weapons and other war requirements. We hear from Jacob Gritch, who spoke at this year's May Day Rally in Melbourne, about what this means on the ground. But first, some workers' news. (coughs) The Victorian State Labor Conference last weekend heard from National Union of Workers members about wages and conditions in the agricultural industry before voting to propose stronger penalties for wage theft. Wage theft laws targeting employers who underpay their workers with penalties of up to 10 years in jail, fines of almost two hundred thousand dollars for individuals and almost one million dollars for companies that deliberately withhold wages fail to pay superannuation or other entitlements or do not keep proper employment records would be enforced by the new victorian wage inspectorate announced in the may budget labor said In New South Wales news, two men are dead and a third is fighting for life after a suspected hydrogen sulphide gas leak at a paper mill near Albury on the New South Wales-Victoria border. Emergency crews were called to the Norsk Snog Mill at Itamuka on Thursday afternoon after workers were overcome by the gas during routine maintenance. Hydrogen sulphide is a colorless gas with the odour of rotten eggs. It can pool in low areas but because it is denser than air. Exposure to high concentrations of the gas can result in pulmonary edema, or excessive fluid in the lungs. A 28-year-old man who was found unconscious at the site died at Albury Base Hospital on Thursday and a 36-year-old died in hospital overnight. Two other men remain in hospital, including a 22-year-old whose condition was listed as critical. The Australian Manufacturing Workers' Union described the deaths as a tragedy. We will be working with our union delegates and safe work to determine the cause of the incident and will make more comment once the circumstances of this tragedy becomes clearer, the union said in a statement. Sad news of the passing of a working-class hero, our tribe, came in this week. Arc Tribe was a construction worker and unionist who was prosecuted for refusing to attend a meeting with investigators from the Australian Building and Construction Commission, the ABCC, in 2008. He was acquitted on the 24th of November 2010, an event with significant political implications for Australian Labor politics but we will leave it to members of the Concrete Gang 3CR's CFMEU show, ARC's Union, to say the last word.
1: And something we should mention as well would be Ark Tribe. Yes, quick, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. we should mention that on Friday afternoon over in uh, South Australia, memorial service was held. Ark was actually uh, buried in uh, Queensland, which is where he was living at the time of his death and was a... Uh, very short illness, no one could work out exactly what the medical issue was, but he passed away very rapidly after being admitted to hospital, and Ark I've got to say did himself a treat, he was just a rank and file worker on a job and an incident occurred in relation to health and safety on that job, Ark was a rigger it was an argument about uh, how the job was getting done then our good friends from the ABCC decided uh, to demand that he face a compulsory interview. He said no, and then they sought to prosecute him. It was a big case, and uh, at the same time, uh, Noel Washington was also being pursued, and that was the first uh, time the ABCC was around before it became the fair work uh, blah, 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 and then it got back to the ABCC, but nothing really changed. And ARK stood up and we did well. And congratulations to ARK and condolences to his sister and his daughter and all the family. He uh, did himself a treat.
0: You're listening to Stick Together, Union News, Worker Stories on the Community Radio Network. Kara Keys was formerly the National Indigenous Officer for the ACTU and has recently stepped up to become the National Campaigns Officer. In the following interview with Giselle Hannah and Pierre Morrow from the Asia-Pacific Currents on 3CR, which looks at union and workers' issues across our region, Cara talks about what is happening for Indigenous workers on the CDP, the Community Development Program, since the National Apology in 2008.
2: We started a campaign on the Community Development Program in response to the absolute archaic nature of this program. Uh, It was introduced by the current Turnbull government in 2015, the 1st of July. Um, And I've got to say, uh, in all my experience working in the trade union movement and with uh, my brothers and sisters in the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community, it's probably the worst of its kind that I've seen, basically forcing people into labour. There's 33,000 people in this program. About 85% of those are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, and it's forces people basically into indentured labour with none of the employment standards that we would expect doing work anywhere else in the country. First Nation Workers Alliance is our collective response to the community development program. Uh, The program itself basically excludes these workers from being under the Fair Work Act, so they have no employment rights, they're not considered employees. They're specifically excluded from the Superannuation Act, they're specifically excluded from the Workers' Compensation Act federally, and they're specifically excluded from the Federal Occupational Health and Safety Legislation. Even though they are doing work, the government's own submission to a Senate inquiry said that they were doing work such as um, aged care, child care, hospitality, construction, administration. So these are, these are jobs that, if you do them anywhere else in the country, you would expect basic, at least the minimum employment standards. And because these workers are excluded from the Fair Work legislation, they're not considered employees. From a union perspective, they didn't have a union that they could join and they really wanted to collectivise. These workers wanted to collectivise to see the end of this program. So the Australian Trade Union Movement and the um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Committee of the ACTU responded to that call and we set up the First Nation Workers Alliance. It is a union primarily for CDP workers so they can have a collective voice in the struggle and the campaign against this program. But it's also a way that other union members, both Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and non-Indigenous supporters, can join the campaign and show their support for CDP workers. Last year, a collective of CDP workers went into Parliament to talk to politicians about the situation that, that, that's happening. Here's the thing about this program. It's remote, and there is the tyranny of remoteness. So a lot of the time people don't know that this is happening in their own country and politicians don't actually understand what the effect of this program is. In fact, what we found with the CDP workers having those conversations is that a lot of posit- politicians didn't really understand the extent of the program. So in terms of campaign escalations and campaign um, you know, moments and points and generating traction... Um, you know, a sort of indefinite strike is certainly not on the minds of the members of the First Nation Workers Alliance at the moment, um, because they're sort of using other campaign levers to get the momentum behind the campaign to get change. It reminds me very much of the, uh, of another struggle that primarily came out of Queensland, but uh, has been generalised across the country, which relates to stolen wages. I mean, this isn't the first time we have seen the, the literal theft of wages of Aboriginal people. So the CDP is just the new manifestation of how not to pay Aboriginal people what their labour is worth. What, um, what kind of work is being done in the stolen wages space at the moment? Um, so, yeah, look, I think the stolen wages is a really good example. I think, you know, there's lots of really great industrial examples that sort of hark back to the bad old days. You know, a lot of um, a lot of CDP workers that we speak to say, you know, this is just like old man Lingiari, you know, when workers weren't getting paid for their labor as well. Um In Queensland, the reparations scheme is ongoing. My understanding is that there is work on stolen wages going across the country in different forms. Um, There's momentum building in Victoria around stolen wages and in South Australia, I'm pretty sure that they had their reparations scheme under the last Labor government.
3: And just a very general question, given that um, we're just looking at a bit of a historical viewpoint, Do you think um, – and you're working at ACTU – do you think there's a general um, understanding within the broader Australian working class of the historical, systemic, long-running – and a huge theft of of wages that Aboriginal people have had to endure in in Australia. And, and while the common theme is that Australia was built on the back of the sheep, it was actually built on the back of free labour and stolen wages of uh, Indigenous people.
2: Um, look, I, I I don't think I'd be comfortable speaking to um you know the broader union movement. Uh, we've got 1.8 million members, and I certainly wouldn't. Want to speak to you know the the knowledge of, of, of that entire um, of that entire membership, but I do know that um, the leadership of the the union movement, um, all of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander union members and officials that work in the union movement work really hard to make sure that union members across the, across the country and the broader workforce understand our history, and that's certainly. Um, something that I've worked to achieve while I've been at the Australian Council of Trade Unions. Um, our, I'm, I'm actually a, a, a campaign director now, and our new Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander officer, Lara Watson works really hard to achieve that. And it's in we we actually you know um, feel quite proud of that history. It's a it's a shared history between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, workers and communities in the trade union movement that we have in some of the largest industrial and civil disputes which has come from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander workers have stood shoulder to shoulder with those workers. And and we feel that we, you know, um, from that historical perspective, we stand on the shoulders of giants and we're very proud of that history and we're very proud, I know, um, you know, as an Aboriginal trade unionist and and other Aboriginal trade unionists that I work with, um, we feel a, a great sense of... Of duty, but also pride in carrying the baton forward into the disputes and struggles that we have today. Cara, what's next for the industrial struggle of Aboriginal people? Well, we've got to get rid of this CDP. That's 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 the big ticket issue at the moment. We cannot have a workforce of you know thirty-one thousand Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander workers that are basically in indentured labour and not enjoying the industrial rights that other Australian workers had. So going forward, that is the main game for us. We have to see the end of this program. We are working really hard to make sure that all parties in the Australian Parliament understand that you cannot be in 2018 and have exploitative labour programs that are basically sponsored by the federal government. Because,
3: of course, if you take away solidarity between workers, there is no Mm. union movement.
2: Tune in to Stick Together, Australia's only national radio program dedicated to industrial relations and workplace justice on the community radio network.
0: So we're fighting for what is fair. It
3: doesn't really matter how old you are or what sex you are or where you work, you you should be standing up for your rights.
0: It is a common conversation to talk about the death of Australian manufacturing and the unemployment and suffering that happens because of this demise. The Federal Government has wrapped up a present to offer the former Australian manufacturing worker retooling closed factories so they can produce war machines and parts. Jacob Gretsch spoke about this insidious plan at the recent May Day celebrations in Melbourne, offering some sobering truths.
3: Comrades, first of all, we need to acknowledge, as other speakers have done before me, that we're standing on land not ceded the land of the cooler nation, but land of people. And it's particularly pertinent to what I'm going to say to you today because this is a nation which is founded on war. I was in Canberra recently at the rally to recognise the Frontiers War, Frontier Wars, and um, this is a nation that was based on war. And Australia, might surprise you, is currently involved in 12 overseas operations. We've got military, boots on the ground, ships on the sea, planes in the air, in 12, pl- 12 operations, covering about 18 countries, outside of our sovereign borders, illegal as they might be. And that's not only, as, as in addition to that, we also have the undeclared wars, We've got our comrades over here from West Papua, for example, who are still fighting an undeclared war for independence and who the Australian Federal Police, not the military, but the quasi-military, are over there playing a much less than noble role. All the way from South Sudan to the South Pacific and closer to home through Operation Sovereign Borders, where we have our military picking up people on boats, civilians, non-combatants, locking them away in prisoner of war style concentration camps in places like Nauru and Manus Island and Christmas Island, there are still 1,500 people on Christmas Island, though it often gets left off the list, for the, for no crime, but for fleeing, for fleeing the destruction that all the wars that Australia is involved in is causing to their homes. So we're bombing them, and then when they run away, try to come to Australia for a better life, we're then picking them up on the water and putting them in concentration camps. This country is still based on the military. And also, not just what we're doing, but through our involvement in the alliance with the United States and Great Britain through operations, through the operation of bases like Pine Gap and Kojurima and Solwater Bay, we're involved, we're implicated, more than involved, we're implicated in every last bombing raid, every last drone strike that any of these countries undertakes in an arc stretching from the Middle East across to the South China Sea. Australia is involved in so many wars and on the home front the home front against Indigenous people and also more and more the home front against all of us. We have an announcement in this year's state budget. There's been talk here about the federal budget and the Libs, but the state budget's not much better in the way they're arming the police with such things as um, capsicum gas canisters, rubber bullets, rubber shells. Now, They tell us now that they're not going to be used against us, they're only going to be used in terms of riot as a non-lethal alternative to shooting people, which is exactly what I and some of you stood on these steps and heard about cap gas and tasers 30 years ago. Now they're common usage, so common, that they're using them against disabled pensioners in Preston. Once Once the police, the paramilitary have these weapons, how long before it's going to be used on workers? Not long at all. And this is the state government, our government. Not the fascist Tories doing that. This is our mob. Now, Trades Hall has been involved against war and against oppression for a long time. Fifteen years ago, a few of the people I see here today We're sitting in one of the rooms behind me here, organising the biggest peace rallies that this country has ever seen in 2003. Before that, we were involved in the anti-Vietnam War moratorium. Before that, going back a long way, you can see by the murals on the inside of the doors there, the anti-conscription movement of the First World War, where workers came together and said, we will not go to war. And I want to talk about 100 years ago, because not just here, but it was all over the world. There was an American trade unionist and socialist named George Ross Kirkpatrick. And 102 years ago on May Day, he gave a speech where he spoke about the economics of war. And he spoke about the horrors of war. And he referred to Lenin's admonition that a bayonet was just a weapon with a worker on either end. But then he went to speak about other weapons. He said, for example, now this is going to sound quaint in 2018, but in 1916, he said, put aside ideas of chivalry. Today's modern weapons can take out a six-inch pine post at a distance of 100 yards in under two minutes. What chance has a worker's body got against such devilry? And you compare that to the kind of weapons you have got now where we can take out a village, we can take out the whole pine forest and the village in it in under two seconds from the other side of the world. And so George Kirkpatrick asked the workers to take a pledge. He said, pledge that I will not kill another worker, another worker's son, another worker's father, another worker's brother. And yes, it was sexist language, not just because of the time, but in those days... Wars were basically two groups of men shooting at each other. Not indiscriminate strafing of civilian villages that it is now. And more than ever, we have these weapons. This year, particularly, the weapons push in Australia, the, the aim to produce more and more and more efficient and economic ways of killing people is proceeding at a rate unimagined even 10 years ago. On Invasion Day, the eve of Invasion Day, ironically enough, they don't have a sense of irony, this government, they announced $3.8 billion facilitation program to export Australian weapons all around the world to kill people with. Then on the eve of Anzac Day, they announced the Defence capa- Industry Capability Plan, the DIC plan. The idea is to, is to give our engineering and research sectors a a boost by moving us towards a defence economy. Keeping workers jobs by giving them the dick is what they're doing, looking at retooling our industry. Now And then on May Day, because these people, as I said, have no sense of irony. On May Day, last Tuesday, the 1st of May, they announced the first recipient of those grants. And that's a company called Leonardo. Now we bought some helicopters off them 10 years ago for 5 billion dollars that we haven't been able to use yet because their gearboxes don't work. So as the first part of this plan was given them 16 million dollars to put new tools in their factory in Port Melbourne to fix the gearboxes we've already paid for. And this company Leonardo, the ninth largest defense company in the world, this is not an Australian business. You never heard of them before, you might have heard of the name Finmeccanica. They're an Italian firm. They were created by the Italian government in the middle of World War II and their CEO at the moment is Benito Mussolini's grandson. These are the kind of people that we're giving money to. Can you imagine what $16 million would do if it were given to Earthworker to actually produce something useful that workers could use in workers' control factory? But no, we're giving this to fascist ideologues to build war machines. The other announcement that came out on May Day was remember, we were going to have tanks built in Port Melbourne at the old Holden factory and we lost that contract to Queensland. The state government was up in arms calling the Australian government traitorous and all kinds of things because we wanted to build the tanks. Well, that moved to Queensland and it was announced on Tuesday, May Day, that we get the consolation prize of having a lightweight materials research centre built here in, I think, at Swinburne University with Defence Science Technology CSIRO and the company involved in the tanks. And the company that built the tanks is a company called Rheinmetall, a German company that built the Panzer tanks and the the railways for the Third Reich. Do you see a pattern emerging here? We're giving the same companies... We're giving the same companies who made their money from supplying the fascist war machine and we're still funding them in Australia today and using the excuse of jobs and growth. Well, I think it's bullshit. And it's not just the big-ticket items. everywhere around Melbourne. In Geelong, we're Because no-one builds a plane anymore... In Geelong, we're building the tail flaps, no, sorry, the wing flaps for the new Lockheed Martin C-130 Super Hercules, which is being used to bomb Iraq and bomb Syria, and who knows where it'll be bombed by the time we finish building the flaps. Up in Thomastown, we're building landing gear for the F-35s. Down in Warn Ponds, we're building lightweight ropes for aircraft carriers. Every step of the way, our industry is being retooled the service, the military. And as George Kirkpatrick pointed out, what chance do workers have against this friggin' devilry? We have none. It's time we truly decide to change the rules and fold our hands and say we will not build the weapons. To take George Kirkpatrick's pledge of we will not kill another worker's father, another worker's brother, another worker, and say, we will not build a weapon specifically designed anymore to kill other workers' families. Because when you have an economy dependent on one industry, there's a name for it, for a start, Banana Republics. You've heard of them, whole countries who depend on one industry... When you have an economy dependent on one industry, then what's good for that industry becomes good for the economy. And what's good for the economy is good for the people in the economy. Do we want a situation where we're worried peace will break out? We're worried there'll be peace talks because every one of the top 10 military companies in the world last week lost between 1% and 3.5% off their share price when the Korean peace talks were announced? Are we going to cry when there are peace talks because it will mean lost jobs? Are we going to cheer when Israel attacks Gaza again, like they're doing at the moment? Because conversely, Elbit Industries, Israeli arms companies, share price had boosted 2% with the deaths of 68 Palestinian activists on the Gaza-Israel border in the last couple of weeks. Comrades. I say to you, we do not want that economy. We don't want to pursue it. We don't want to advocate it. We don't even want to put up with it and say if we didn't do it, someone else will because, frankly, that's the excuse, that's the reasoning of the smack dealer. I say in 2018, we say no to the government's arms drive. We say we will not build the weapons designed to kill other workers and that's all there is to it. Happy May comrades!